So today we're reading about the birth of John the Baptist and Zachariah's song. It's found in the Church Bibles on page 1026. It's Luke 1:57 through to verse 80. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made the signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Yes, thank you. That was God's word to us. And so as we consider God's word now, let's pray that he would give us understanding. Father God, we... Thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us through the pages of scripture. And so as we think about those words now, we think about what Zechariah was so excited about. Lord, would you give us not only understanding, but would you grant us that same joy that he had uh, at the salvation that comes through Christ. So bless us uh, in our hearing, bless me in my speaking, uh, that we might all be built up and become more Christ-like. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we actually read uh, verse 57 to, to verse 80 of Luke chapter 1. We're really only going to focus on Zechariah's song as it uh, is headed in the church Bibles. So that's verse 67 to, to 79. Now, what's on your Christmas wish list? It's only uh, a few days to go, uh, but I'm sure there are things that all of us are secretly hoping for, um, or maybe not so secretly, I don't know. Uh, maybe you're quite blatant about it. Maybe you're hoping for some cool stuff, uh, toys, gadgets, books, that kind of stuff. Um, maybe you're hoping for some great family time, spending some time with some people that you love. Uh, 
maybe you're just hoping for some peace and quiet, uh, some time to rest and, and relax. Some of the great Christmas pop songs talk about what the singer would want for Christmas. So the really famous Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You. Uh, or the slightly less well-known, All I Want for Christmas is My Two Front Teeth. You might know that one. Uh, but in our Bible reading this morning from Luke chapter 1, we meet Zechariah, uh, a man who has had something on his wish list for a very long time. And he too sings a song about it. But this song isn't a wishing song. Uh, rather, it's a song of praise and thanksgiving for God sending the greatest gift. So what, what is it that Zechariah could have been longing for so much? Well, we'll come to that in a minute. But in looking at what Zechariah had been longing for, we, we find actually he had some surprising uh, priorities. So the first point then is thinking about Zechariah's priorities and thinking about Christmas priorities. Uh, but to understand his priorities, we need to skip back a little bit uh, to learn a few things about him. So if you look at the beginning of the chapter, uh, verses 5 to 7, uh, if you've got your Bibles, feel free to, to read along and you'll see this. Uh, it says that Zechariah was a godly man. Uh, verse 6 there, uh, he and his wife were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. He was a priest in the temple, uh, and his wife was also of, of priestly descent. So these are good guys. They're, they're godly people, and they were people that really cared about living in a godly and pleasing way. But we're also told, verse 7, that they didn't have any children. Uh, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. And you can imagine what a sadness that would have been for them. So maybe one of the things that they'd been praying for and longing for for this very long time was to have a baby. Maybe that's what Zechariah was longing for. Maybe that was his priority. Well, in verse uh, 11 and onwards, uh, we read that as he was serving in the temple, remember he was a priest, so he was, uh, had this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go and offer incense in the, the holy place. Uh, an angel appears to him while he's doing that and tells him that his wife is going to have a baby. Which is remarkable for a few reasons. Firstly, because an angel appeared to him and told him so, which is incredible. I don't think any of us will have had that experience. Uh, secondly, because the angel said the child would be great in the sight of the Lord and prepare the way for the Lord to come. But thirdly, because Zechariah and Elizabeth were very old, verse 7. It, just, it was not likely to happen, uh, humanly speaking, at all. They, they, they were past it. They, they'd already kind of got past the point where they could have children. And, and so this was all too much for Zechariah. And, and perhaps, understandably, Zechariah didn't believe the angel uh, and as a sign to him that this really was true, Zechariah was then unable to speak until the baby was born. But when he finally does speak, in verse 68, when he finally does speak, rather than skepticism, we actually find praise coming out of his mouth. Now, 
given what we suspect he'd been longing for all his life was to, to have a child, you might expect the praise to go something like this. Uh, praise be to the Lord God of Israel, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant and has given to me a son. You, you might expect that. But his priority is actually very different. He still wants to praise God. That's great. But instead of praising God for his child, this newborn son, he praises God for visiting or coming to his people and redeeming them. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Verse 68. Now, redeeming meaning rescued, uh, being set free by paying a, a price. And so, Zechariah is excited because God himself was going to come and set his people free to rescue them, to save them, to redeem them. And so the first thing, one of the first things that Zechariah says when he finally receives uh, speech again was not to praise God for the things he wanted on earth, the, the earthly desires he had, the, the, the good and, and godly desire for a, a, a child. But his priority was for God's salvation to appear. That was the thing he had longed for and prayed for for many years. Now, I'm certain that Zechariah praised God for the birth of John, his son. But in this song, the priority is on something much, much greater which is quite something. Um, if you've ever had children or you've ever known anyone that's had children, you know how all-consuming they are. Everything in life gets turned upside down and everything is about this new human that's in the house. And uh, it just it is all-consuming. And especially perhaps having children later in life, like uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, who were very old, remember, uh, you would expect them to, to just be all about the baby. Uh, they've, they've got used to the whole life of, of living a certain way, and now all their routines are broken, far more than you know, a teenage couple like Mary and Joseph, um, not really had a chance to establish routines and, and, and things like that. These are people that are very, in some ways, set in their ways. They, they've, they've established a routine, and so everything has been turned upside down. But his priority, again, is to praise God for redeeming and rescuing his people. And so in reading verse 68 to 75, we start to see why this is so amazing, so wonderful, uh, and so much better than any other blessing that God could bring. At verse 79, sorry, 79, 69, says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Uh, it's a bit of a weird phrase, uh, this horn of salvation. But what it means is that this salvation is going to be a powerful and a mighty rescue. Now, at, at Christmas, we often think about uh, the, the weakness and frailty of, of Jesus born in a manger, of, of God taking on a, a human body. And as the, the hymn, My Song is Love Unknown, some of you know it, says, uh, But who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die. And so in thinking of the incarnation, we think of, of Jesus being born, we think of that frailty and that, that humanity. 
But at the same time, the salvation he will enact is a mighty salvation. The rescue he gives is a, a powerful rescue. And the, the horn, uh, in verse 69, is a symbol of power. At Psalm 18, in verse 2, is, is one place in the Old Testament. You can find this image. It says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And so the horn is not merely a symbol of power, but a person of power. That the Lord himself is the horn of salvation. Jesus is the horn of salvation. Now when I was younger, I had some friends who uh, thought entertainment involved going up to the fields near where we lived and getting chased by cows. They they would try and run away from the cows and and get them to stampede. and see if they could outrun the herd. It was a, a stupid uh, thing to do and a pretty cheap thrill. And, uh, but it was scary enough for, for them running away from this, this herd of cows. But if you put horns on those cows, it's a different story altogether. It would be very scary. You don't mess with an animal with horns. Uh, it was bad enough at uh, the Christmas lights uh, in Wem the other week. There's a reindeer being dragged, manhandled down the street. Uh, didn't want to go where it was being led, and its antlers were flying everywhere, uh, nearly took someone's eye out. Um, and they're not even proper horns. But think of a, a huge ox with a massive pointy horn sticking out of either side of its head. This is a creature you don't want to mess with. The power and the strength is incredible. Now, if that power and that strength is on your side rather than against you, then that is cause for rejoicing. And so this salvation, this horn of salvation, is powerful, it's mighty, it's unstoppable. So no wonder Zechariah prioritized this in his praise. And then verse 70 uh, talks about how uh, this horn of salvation is not something used rashly and unthinkingly and a a knee-jerk reaction, but was planned and predicted hundreds of years uh, previously. Uh, He said through his holy prophets of long ago. 70, verse 71 talks about the salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. It's all very well raving about how God provides a rescue, but what is he rescuing his people from? Well, for Zechariah and the rest of the Jews, one of the immediate things they were longing for was freedom from Roman oppression. The Jews were in their homeland, but under Roman rule, and the Romans could interfere in various aspects of of Jewish life. Uh, The Jews weren't completely free to live in their own land under their own rule without interference from these pagan foreigners who had no knowledge of the God of Israel, which is perhaps why Zechariah talks in verse 74 about this salvation, meaning they would be able to serve God without fear. So so the immediate earthly need was to be rescued from their enemies, the, the Romans. And that's what they've been longing for and praying for. And that's why Zechariah is so hyped up about the fact that God had sent this salvation. But he goes on to say the reason for this salvation. Why is God bringing this salvation? Verse 72, it's to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenants. The oath he swore to our father Abraham. So it's firstly to show mercy to their ancestors, that is, Uh, He promised this, this salvation, long ago uh, to people like Abraham, verse 73. He promised that the people would have their own land and 
it just seems like a bit of a, a kick in the, the ribs, a poke in the eye, that the people have been given this land, and yet they're not free in this land. They've got to put up with the Roman occupation. But the second reason for this salvation is not just freedom from the Romans, but freedom to serve God without fear. Verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. Uh, It might have been difficult to serve God fully, all the while knowing that uh, Rome could turn against you at any moment. If you get too religious, the Romans might want to squash that just as many other regimes have done throughout history. And so there there may have been a a sense for the Jews that their their service to God was always just a little bit tainted by this background fear and anxiety that that Rome wouldn't like it. But just for us, um, we often find a a similar fear. We often face a a similar fear. Often we, we sin because we're ruled by fear. For example, we steal because we're afraid of not having enough. Or maybe we lie because we're afraid of of people knowing the truth. Or we're ashamed of the truth. Maybe we don't take a day off because we're afraid that we won't have time to do what we need to do. We don't love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength because we're afraid of what others might think of us or what might happen to us. And yet when God rescues us, we can serve him without fear. And as we look at verse 75, we we get a clue that Zechariah is actually thinking of something more than just rescue from the Romans. Uh, God will rescue his people so they can serve him in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And so when God saves his people... He saves us so we can serve him in holiness and righteousness. He saves us so we can turn our back on sin and live a godly life. And so the salvation God was given was not just salvation from the Romans, but salvation from the greater enemies of of Satan and sin and death. And so as we approach Christmas, we, we celebrate and remember the coming of a salvation, not just for a first century Jew like Zechariah, but for you and me. We celebrate Jesus' coming, not to save us from foreign oppressing armies, but to save us from our enemies of Satan's sin and death. This horn of salvation that Zechariah talks about is the Lord, Jesus, who died on the cross to save us from our sins. We celebrate Christmas because God has raised up this horn of salvation for us who came as a baby and grew up and eventually died on the cross to take the punishment for our sin and was brought back to life again to give us new life in holiness and righteousness all our days for eternal days. And this is something to celebrate. This is something that we should prioritize at Christmas. What are your priorities like this Christmas? Are you more excited about the earthly blessings that God has given? Many of which are really good things, by the way. Uh, God, every good gift comes from God. Uh, he loves to give good things to his children. So we don't want to say everything else about Christmas is rubbish, but we do want to say that the priority, that the thing that we should look for uh, the most and the thing we should be most grateful for is this horn of salvation, this salvation that comes 
through Jesus. Zechariah was more excited about the Lord's horn of salvation than he was about his own son, and rightly so. There is no gift that you can receive this Christmas which could be better than the salvation offered in Christ. So Christ should be your Christmas priority. In fact, Christ should be your everyday priority. But this song is not just a, a song about the horn of salvation, Jesus. Uh, Zechariah does actually turn his attention for a couple of verses uh, to his newborn son, John the Baptist. Not that he was known as the Baptist uh, when he was a baby, but he'd just been given the name John, uh, a name that had been uh, given by the angel. And as we see what John's mission was and uh, the, the role he would play in this whole story, uh, Zechariah uh, sings about how John will have an important job to do to prepare Jesus' way. So let's have a look at what those preparations look like. Look at Christmas preparations, verse 76 to 79. Um, it is only seven days till Christmas, if you can believe that. And undoubtedly, many of us will be making plans. Many of us will be getting ready for Christmas Day, whether that's buying and wrapping presents. I'm sure there's someone here that's got everything sorted already. Um, whether it's preparing food or getting ready to travel, making sure you've got passports or tickets or, or whatever you need to do, make sure you've got petrol in the car. But whatever it is, it seems like a busy time of year, preparing for Christmas. But just as we've seen that Zechariah emphasized the horn of salvation, the coming of Jesus and, and God's rescue of his people, as we've seen that priority, it shouldn't surprise us that the preparations that need to be made are also a lot more weighty than whether you bought enough sausage rolls for Christmas tea. And so verse 76 uh, to verse 79, we see how God has sent John to make those preparations for him. Verse 76 says, You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. John's way of preparing people to receive the Lord was to teach them that they needed saving. And that they needed forgiving. Verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And so in terms of being rescued from the Roman occupation, you can imagine John going about preaching against injustice and oppression and all the terrible things that the Romans were doing. Uh, the Lord is coming to destroy the evildoers. And that would be great news if you're living uh, under uh, Roman occupation. But what if some of the Jews were also guilty of injustice? What if they were also guilty of oppression, of treating their fellow Jews unfairly? What would God's salvation look like then? Surely by rights, God would have to wipe away those evildoers as well. Uh, Psalm 125 verse 5 describes what could happen. Uh, those who turn to crooked ways... The Lord will banish with the evildoers. So it was important that the people were ready for the Lord's coming. And so John the Baptist's message was one of repentance, telling people to stop doing what was wrong, turn their back on sin. But it was also a message of salvation and forgiveness. Not that John himself could save anyone, 
But he pointed people to the one who could save, this horn of salvation, this Jesus. And just as John prepared people for Christ's first coming, we also need to be prepared for Christ's second coming. Because Jesus is coming again. Uh, And it's important that each of us are ready for him. Which means acknowledging and confessing our sin to each other and to God. Knowing that we can be saved through Christ's work on the cross, this knowledge of salvation. Uh, Knowing that we can be forgiven and be made new and serving him in, in righteousness all our days. Now, Zechariah describes it a little bit like the sunrise in verse um, 78. So God is going to uh, send John to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Uh, The reason for that is because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. It's a bit like the sunrise. Sometimes we, we look around and we see that the world is full of darkness. Uh, it's a really apt description of, of what it feels like to live in a fallen world. That word dark. Maybe you know what I mean and, and how that feels. Um, in an earthly kind of sense, a more tangible kind of sense, it, it's a bit like a time we were uh, camping in a storm. Uh, we were in the tent as a family. The, the rain was lashing down. There was thunder clapping away and lightning flashing. None of us could sleep. And some of us were a little bit scared, it's fair to say. But the thing that made it the worst was the fact that it was at night. We were all there. We we couldn't see anything else going on outside other than these flashes of lightning. And it, it felt scary, dark, horrible. And yet when the dawn came... It's somehow you can cope with that a little bit better. You can see what you're dealing with. And uh, to be fair, the thunderstorm has stopped as well, which helped. But it was all the worse because it was night. But morning came and everything seemed better. Or another time, um, this was when Rachel had just given birth to Alice, our fourth child. Um, she spent the night in hospital. Everything had gone fine with the birth and it was, uh, everything was fine. It was good. But Rach then had one of the worst nights of her life. Um, with panic attacks and feeling very strongly this shadow of death that we uh, read about in verse 79. It was a horrible experience for her. But sure enough, morning came and everything started to seem better. There's something about the dawn that makes everything seem better. And it's a bit like that with Jesus' return. Uh, he will come to bring light in the darkness and hope where there's despair. And in verse 79, he, he describes that darkness, like we said before, as being like the shadow of death. Um, the sun is rising, the, the horn of salvation, this Jesus is coming uh, like the rising sun uh, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Now, all of us have death hanging over us, meaning we will all die one day unless Christ returns first. So there's a sense in which just our natural human frailty 
means that we live in the shadow of death. But it also conjures up an image of our our day-to-day lives, having this darkness hanging over us and surrounding us. Maybe you experience that where you work. You're surrounded by darkness. People who just don't understand the light, don't understand the gospel, don't understand goodness. You, You might get little glimpses of goodness now and then, but it's hard being in a place that's so dark. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's just turning on the TV and realizing how much darkness there is. But there is a sunrise coming. And the good news is that it is unstoppable and inevitable. At this time of year, the the mornings are quite dark. So at the moment, it's quite common for my alarm clock to go off quite a long time before sunrise. The problem is I'm much more of a night owl than an early bird. Uh, So the temptation to hit the snooze button on the alarm clock is too great. And so there are some mornings where I could hit snooze four or five, six times before actually waking up properly. But if I were to keep hitting that snooze button, what do you think would happen to the sunrise? Well, it's obvious nothing would happen Whatsoever, the sunrise is coming no matter how many times I hit that snooze button. You can't press snooze on the sunrise. And so you you might have heard everything that's been said this morning. You you just want to hit snooze. Yeah, I'll I'll think about that another time. Um, I'll I'll delay this. Uh, I don't want to think about that today. It's too busy today. I've got too much on this week. Well, Christ could return at any moment. We don't know when, but it is coming. And it's inevitable and it's unstoppable. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, maybe you've been putting it off for a long time. And and even now you're thinking, I'll sort that out in the new year. It's my new year's resolution. Get to grips with this Christianity stuff. Or let's just get Christmas out of the way first. Then Then I'll think about Jesus. Well, if that's you, then I really would urge you to stop pressing snooze on that rising sun of salvation that we've heard about this morning because you might not get another chance. But if you are a Christian, then have a think about how you're living. If Christ came back today, would he be pleased with the way we're living our lives? Would he be pleased with our priorities, as we've looked at earlier? Would Christ look at the way we treat each other and be happy to bless that and be pleased with that? How are we preparing for Christ to come and bring his full and final salvation? As a church, how are we preparing people for the knowledge of salvation? Are we making plans personally or as a church, uh, as, uh, knowing that Christ is coming, that this dawn is coming? How are we relating to our non-Christian friends, neighbours, colleagues? Are we so confident that we're all right and we're just ignoring them? Because the dawn is coming on us as well as them. So we need to be careful how we prepare, not just ourselves, but the people around us. So just to close, whether you get everything you wanted for Christmas or not, we just really need to make sure that we're ready for what we're longing for. I hope you are longing for Christ to come longing for this dawn of salvation. 
let's enjoy that the, the great gift, the greatest gift that we have, our salvation. And let's also make sure that we're prepared for Christ to bring it.